Hey guys, welcome to The Map, the martial arts professional. This is a, a podcast brought to you by the Empower Association, a Coquinos company. I'm Pete McHugh. I'm a lead black belt instructor, McHugh BJJ. With me is Kiyoshi Thomas Clifford. Kiyoshi, how are you, sir? Fantastic. Looking forward to another fantastic podcast today. Yeah, man. Last episode was great. You really got on a roll. You were, uh, you were in your wheelhouse there. And, and I, uh, I learned a lot in that episode, and I'm sure a lot of people will. I learned a lot. You know, I think that when we talk about topics, it causes us to, uh, to reach deep and to start to consider things and revisit things. And it, it goes back to this idea of renewal. We don't have to review the topic, but we have to renew the topic. We have to dust it off and polish it. So what are we going to talk about today? I'm excited for today, man. This is, uh, I would say, a little bit more in my wheelhouse, which is, uh, you know, I'm a 36-year-old guy. I'm in the prime of training and such, and I'm surrounded by a lot of, like, young, enthusiastic instructors on my team. So most of our focus goes into the topic that we're going to talk about today, which is on the mat, like, you know, running a good class, teaching methodology, making sure that the, the training experience is world-class and top-notch every single time. Yeah, that's not a subject. That's the subject. Right. That's, that's our favorite topic. And and although I'm a lot older and kind of over the hill, <laughs> it's still my favorite part of what it is that we do. You know, with no matter how um, much focus you put into all the other processes and procedures and your systems, et cetera, uh, really the blue ribbon service that we provide is martial arts instruction. Yes. That, that's where the, the, the feet hit the floor or the, you know, the, the rubber meets the road. So go ahead. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of different places that we could kick this off. And one of the things that I want to point out is if you're listening to this podcast, there's a strong chance that you own a school, right? You're, you're, you're already a, a professional martial arts instructor. So, I want to get this out of the way. You probably would not be in that position. Your name would not be on the door if you did not know how to teach a great class, right? Would you agree, Kiyoshi? Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone who's listening in, uh, just the mere fact that they're listening indicates that they're they're serious about what they do. They're they're looking for uh, distinctions and ideas, and even if they're listening to us because they want to disagree, there's <laughs> value in that. There's a lot of value in that. So. So yeah, I think we have an audience of people who are not just interested, they're obsessed with the martial arts. And, and of course, by virtue of the fact that they're obsessed, they, they run a high quality and a high caliber curriculum. Right. Yeah. That's so I, I, think, I think a solid piece of advice would be going into this podcast, even if um, you, know, you don't take anything away in terms of something you want to apply to your curriculum or your teaching methodology, you need to be able to codify what it is that you do, right? You need, like you said in the last podcast, I think you can't pass you on. You might've just said that to me personally, mm -hmm. which is a gem. And you, and even like one of your guys, they can't pass themselves on, but you can pass on a set of tools, a set of teaching methodologies. You can pass on like a world-class curriculum. So, you know, one of the things we'll address today is you cannot base the success of your program off of your own charisma and your ability to wing it, right? Yeah, I, I just don't want to create people in my likeness and image. That work's already been done. You know, somebody else right. already created us in, in, in 
his likeness and image. I, yeah. I'm not that guy. So I'm not looking to clone me. I and even if you even if you could, it, it wouldn't be a good clone. It wouldn't be a good clone and it wouldn't be a real service to humanity. There's enough of me. <laughs> you know? Some would say there's too many of you already. That's true. That's um, true. All right. So so I, I think a good place to start would be developing a curriculum, right? Because it's not as, as simple as it sounds and it goes a lot deeper than you would think. Yeah, there's some mystery or not necessarily mystery, but I, I would say misconception. I, I don't consider the curriculum the list of ingredients. Like I don't consider the curriculum just a, a list of all the moves. And I, I think that sometimes when people first start out in their school, they kind of list all the moves and the stuff. Like they'll list the, the offense, the offensive and defensive maneuvers, for example. Um, if it's a, a classical Japanese or Okinawan or, you know, an Asiatic martial art with kata of some type, they'll, they'll list those and they kind of quantify all of the things that comprise their system. But that to me is not the curriculum. You know, that's not the, it's certainly not the teaching method. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Obviously, you, you've thought about this long and hard, I could tell. I, I do remember a time when the curriculum was top secret, right? When, yes. when it, was, it was kept hidden in the instructor handbook and it was, it was protected like a dragon protecting its gold. Okay, and but let's, let's, let's just before we go further, usually because there wasn't one. <laughs> usually because there wasn't one. Like yeah. that's been my experience. Like the guy who said there was a manuscript um, he didn't really have a manuscript <laughs> yeah. or if he said he had one that he wrote, he hadn't gotten around to writing it yet. And that's, you know, that's why you never saw it. Yeah. I think a lot of that is shrouded in, um, in, uh, in myth, but keep okay. going. So, I, I agree with you. I, re I remember when I was about to leave, uh, professor Almeida's Ricardo Almeida's I tried to commit to memory that that fundamentals curriculum and thinking that that was like the key to success. And it, it took me what, two months of running my own school to realize the curriculum is not the moves. That's part of it. Yes. Of course it's part of it, but it goes a lot deeper. How are you delivering, you know, the techniques? What's the structure of your program? What's the mes messaging behind it? Um, how clear can you are, are articulate it? Mm -hmm. Right. Would you agree? And you would probably say it goes even deeper than that. Yeah, there's, well, there's, you know, there's teaching method and there's training method. And the, the way I differentiate them is teaching method is how we impart knowledge and training method is how we cultivate skill. You know, we have to have a way to develop the skill. So, it, you know, if I, if I go to class, if I attend your class and I'm not going to leave day to day, like doubling and tripling and quadrupling my skill but I can double quadruple and triple or double, triple, quadruple in the right sequence, my knowledge. Right. And You're most of it, yeah, most of it's really, I don't admit this and, and you probably encourage your guys not to tell anyone like they lie to their, to their, their family and say, I'm going to practice. I'm going to study jujitsu. I'm going to learn martial arts. They're really learning about themselves, but that sounds so ridiculous. Nobody wants to say that. Nobody wants to say that what I really learned a lot about in the session tonight was myself. 
And I learned about myself through the martial arts. So that's not abstract. That's pretty concrete. But we can't get away from the fact that the way in which they were able to discover things about themselves that they might not have clearly understood is through the training method. Yes. Through the training method. So the training method is the medium through which or by which they make these discoveries about themselves, their strengths, their weaknesses, their inadequacies, inadequacies, deficiencies, and flaws. And at the very same time, they're learning about these things. They're getting the diagnostics. They also are provided with the developmental tools to correct those problems. And the interesting thing is they're one in the same. The very, the very same thing that I use to determine where my deficiencies lie is the very thing that I use to correct the deficiencies. Meaning if I had a cardiovascular deficit and I discovered that on an aerodyne bike, what might you tell me to do to correct the deficit? <laughs> Stay on the aerodyne bike. Exactly. So, so there's some things I discover about my, my physical strength, flexibility, or stamina through the training session that I need to correct with the training session. Right. So it's all woven together, but yeah, I like that a lot. And I'm sure you're, you're very vocal about that. You're very clear about that in your, your messaging, right? That's the talk. That's but the, the talk is, is, they, you know, they got to get out there and they, they've got to sweat. There's got to be some physical training that brings this knowledge into fruition that converts the knowledge to skill. And that's training method. Right. I, so I want to ask you this. I've taken your class many, many times. Yes. And I remember telling you at, uh, we were at like a ProMac or something. And I, I told you we, we had to grade your class. And when it came time to the intensity level and like how demanding it was cardiovascularly, I gave you a 10 out of 10 and you were, you were very surprised. Mm -hmm. That's by design, right? You want to make it as difficult as possible, right? Yeah. I think it needs to be a very intense physical experience. I think so, people expect that and they deserve it and it's necessary. At some point in the class, that's got to happen. Right. But I think you, you would agree there's probably a couple different ways to go about it. So another, you, you really like acronyms and mm -hmm. one, is, one is HIT, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, that's been used for a million things, but the way you've broken it down to me is you can do one of two types of HIT, you know, classroom settings. One is high intensity training or one is highly informative teaching, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. yes. And if you're going to pick one or the other, like you still have to find the, the place to put in the intensity they have to experience the training effect at one point or another, right? Yes, and, they, and they, you, you really want to be doing both. And the perfect time to make things highly informative is while you're gasping for air. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. so there's going to be intervals, you know, like the, there's no such thing as downtime. Let, let's, let's, without going too far into a rabbit hole, let's discuss the idea and then we'll continue of our turn. Um, my turn began at birth. Some would argue at conception, but I don't want to think about that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, me neither. So, yeah. So, so let's just say that my turn began on the day I was born. And my turn in the natural in this lifetime will end on the day I die. But it's always my turn. 
now you, now you go, wait a minute, your, your parents, you know, your grandparents, Peter, my parents, you might be thinking to yourself that they've created this monster, like who thinks it's always his turn. And that's not really what I mean. Sometimes it's my turn to be in the dugout. And sometimes it's my turn to be out on the field, but it's always my turn. Sometimes it's my turn to get in the back of the line, but the back of the line is part of my turn. There's no downtime. In other words, when I sleep, that's not downtime. That's recovery time. Right. I don't believe in, in the idea of downtime unless I'm in a coma and I have not yet had that experience. And even then it's highly likely that it's not downtime. My body is really working very, very hard to get back online. So let's, let's separate the idea or get rid of the idea that there's, there's any time for downtime in a training session, whether it's a 45 minute, one hour, hour and a half, however long your classes are, every single second of that time is valuable and needs to be used strategically. Right. Well, let's continue from that premise. Well, I want to point this out because that's another valuable lesson that I'm learning right now. We need to, that's not going to happen by accident. Your students are not going to realize that by accident. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how, like who is going to guide them to that realization and how are you going to do it? The like, person what's one way? the class. The instructor. So, so let's say like, I'm going to teach coach Tony or, you know, coach James, one of my newer instructors, how to get a group of adults to, to wrap their head around that concept. What's the best way to do it? Is, is through example is they have to experience. So let me, let me say this. So, so we're, we're, we're kind of speaking from two different perspectives. So when you're saying that it's always my turn, you mean, even when you're at the back of the line for doing like sidekicks or especially holding pads, right? Yes. People yeah. tend to think when they're the pad holder, it's, it's not the other their guy's turn. turn. Yeah. It's more your turn, but you know, people fail to realize that. Well, in my, sorry, it, sorry, in, in my perspective as a jujitsu instructor, yeah, it's your time off when what, when you're practicing, when they're practicing the arm lock on you, mm -hmm. it just makes you a bad partner. Yes. Yes. It's culturally conditioned though. Like where, you know, that the little monster that I was talking about that, that I hope my parents did not raise me to be a monster in uh, this idea that like the world revolves around me and those other 29 kids in my class are interference and they're, you know, we're competing for the attention of the tall person in the room who knows it all. Like that's just insanity. In a martial arts classroom, we know darn well, we, we learn probably a lot more from our peers than we do from the person teaching the class. And that's a hard pill for people to swallow. You know, they, they spit that one out, especially if their ego is fragile. But I really believe in a, in a, in a properly designed, productive, and, uh, you know, correctly constructed martial arts classroom, the students are the primary resource in the educational process. We learn more from each other, from our peers, than we're going to from any one individual in the room. Does that make any sense to you? Or is that it's, like, it's, it's making a, a whole lot what, of sense. What, but what about me? What about I'm the but what about me, the instructor? I'm the sage on the stage. What do you, it's all about me? Guide on the side. Guide on the there side. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Guide on the side. You're there to facilitate. Uh, certainly your role is jugular. 
I'm not going to pretend that it's not important, but I, I just think we make a big mistake by letting students indulge in the idea or encouraging them to indulge in the idea that all of those other people are getting in the way. The funny thing is, you know, as an instructor, you consider yourself like, like a conductor, like a maestro, right? Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, the orchestra can play without the conductor, but they need the violins. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's overrated. Like I, I think about Bugs Bunny standing up there with his with a stick, and uh, <laughs> and doing the thing. And that's a carrot, and he occasionally takes a bite of it. I, yeah, I've always kind of like I always thought to myself that I could do that. Now maybe there's more to it than than meets the eye, but it looks like that guy, his uh, his glory is overrated. Now I don't want to bash conductors. So I'll just bash myself as an instructor. Like I, my job and, and the, the significance of it is overrated. Well, I would, I'd say this, it's not, it's, it, I think it's rated just right. In my, in my opinion, mm -hmm. I've been your, your student, what you do is not replicable as much as you try to make it, it you no, know, somebody else can run your, your program with their own gifts and talents and make it just as impactful. Um, but the thing is, like, you have a skill at making what you do appear effortless. It's not. It's, it's, a, it's a very valuable, important aspect of the class. And I appreciate but your job, but what you do so well is what I'm saying, is you, you deflect. And, mm -hmm. and rightfully so. You swallow your, your pride and your ego and you deflect. You put, you put the spotlight on the senior students, on the class. Well, well, let, me, let me just clarify that though i i also put the pressure on them yeah yeah so yes. like it's true that i deflect and it's true that i'm being self-deprecating but it's also true that i'm not going to take on false responsibility you can call that irresponsible but i don't think it is but what i'm going to do is i'm going to put more pressure right back on to the people who are coming to class who are there for that pressure they're there to be held to a higher standard they're there for empowerment and they thrive yeah. under that. Yeah, they're there to be to be made aware of their usefulness and and not made further to believe that they're useless. And there's a, there's a lot of that messaging going on in people's lives. And I, I just don't want to be party to that. So I want the students to, the, if you look and you evaluate the quality of the class and you're going to rate it, what you're rating really is the synergy created by the people who are training on the mat. Yeah. And the guide on the side is part of it, is part of it, is a, you know, a piece of that puzzle. But what's primary is the synergy created by everyone working together. Right. So let's take a step back, though, before we get into that. Let's talk. Let's go back to curriculum itself, to the, the stuff we're going to be teaching. Yeah. Where, where, where do you, you know, so, you were break right, it. So I, I guess let's get the obvious things out of the way. I think you absolutely 100% have got to have a written well thought out curriculum mm -hmm. for every training level. Um, I think you have to have a, a solid understanding of it front to back and why it flows the way it does. Yes. I think you need to uh, be able to articulate it and teach it to your instructors know it like the back of your hand um 
I mean, those are all the simple things, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if we talk about a system, you know, this is a, this is interesting is, is uh, your, your martial art, what you teach is many people call it Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Other people call it Gracie jiu-jitsu. You know, some people just call it jiu-jitsu. Uh, you could call it McHugh BJJ. And I think that's probably the most accurate. Um, you could call it McHugh BJJ Ricardo Almeida team under Henzo Gracie's lineage. You know, it's a lot of different things, but let's, let's clarify what all that means. In the final analysis, McHugh BJJ is a direct reflection of the training method that you provide at your school, which is unique and it's not identical to anyone else's. That's simply a fact. Right. You, you are an RA BJJ representative. Am I correct? You are a yeah. you are in Professor Ricardo Almeida's lineage, proudly. Proudly. And all of your classmates who fly the RA BJJ flag are proudly representing that lineage. But their teaching methods are not the same, nor should they be. Not only not only are is our teaching methodology is very different. Our style of jujitsu looks very, very different. And our curriculum is different, even though there were many times we all sat down together to write out our, you know, our fledgling fundamentals curriculum, mm -hmm. because our perspective of what the most important movements and, you know, training philosophies, they're all very different. They differ. Yes. Yes. They differ. And that's why there's a lot of schools, right? And it should be. Yeah, there's not there's not enough, but there are a lot of schools and people wonder, like, how come there's so many schools? Because there there's a lot of what's going on in the jujitsu classroom that's universal. And then there's some of it that's unique. Now, a lot of what we think is unique, if we peel the onion deeply, turns out to be universal. And right. if, in other words, at the core of it, there's some unify, unifying principles that are constant. But, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get too, too abstract. And no, too, let's, too so flat. let's get more concrete. I think sure. in terms of like writing out a curriculum, here's some advice. What helps me is you need to develop an avatar, right? Mm -hmm. So for every program, when I sit down and I'm, I'm going to write out, say my junior sharks, you know, which is like six to 11 years old beginners, I have a, a picture in my head of who I want to help. Mm -hmm. And over the course of 12 months, what, are the tech series of techniques delivered in which, you know, sequence is going to get little Timmy to where he, I think he needs to be. So you're thinking about what they look like when they yep. start and what they're going to look like at the end of that phase of training. Not, not only what they're going to look like, what, what are they going to encounter in their life? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a lot. It's not just like, how well can I get him to do an arm bar? It's, mm -hmm. it's like how, and I'm like, this That's might great. sound the maturation exactly yeah there's a process of maturation and 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 what kind of growth is that student going to experience not by virtue of of just time but of the influence of the program the environment right like look like if you looked at karina she's 12 now she started training when you're when she was three now if you come in and you say you know wow karina martial arts made her a lot taller I would, I would suggest that you're an imbecile, like martial arts hasn't made her taller. Nutrition has made her taller. You know, <laughs> she's gotten taller by, by virtue of the fact that she was 
three and now she's 12. But you'd notice a whole bunch of other things about her attitude, her behavior and her character, not only her skill, that has a lot to do with the influence of her training. Right. That I deeply believe. And I so and that I, that goes into that goes into the design of the curriculum. Right. Right. That's an important distinction. So so let's go back to the basic program. Let's go back to fundamentals. What are you looking for people to get from their fundamentals program? So I'm I'm influenced by the jujitsu uh, community as a whole, I guess. And one of the best, like, we don't like to, we've talked about this. Like I can't roll out my arm barometer, but when somebody enrolls into my fundamentals program, my goal is to prepare them for their blue belt. Mm -hmm. And in jujitsu, it takes about a year, right? It takes about a year of consistently training at least twice a week. The best definition I've ever heard, the one that I like the most for what a blue belt is, is somebody who can competently defend themselves against a larger, um, stronger, untrained opponent, right? So that's a pretty good definition. So they, they know how to move off their back. They know how to close the distance. Neutralize aggression. They can neutralize aggression. They can reverse a, a resisting opponent. They can maintain top position. So you know, when we design our fundamentals curriculum, there's a lot that I would leave out of that and, and, and put in things I think are way more important to get to that goal. Cause I have a very clear understanding of what my goal is as an instructor. Okay. So your goal is that outcome. Yeah. It's not, it's not, let's see how much like crap we could teach this guy in a year. Let's, especially with my kids, it's not, it used to be, and I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. When I first started teaching kids in jujitsu, it was like, let's see how many crazy things we could get these kids doing. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we could get them to invert. Maybe they could do some crazy stuff. We had and- conversations about this when you first opened up your school. I don't know if you remember us talking about this, but we did talk about this. It's the idea of like, well, you know, that's it's not taught the old way anymore. It's taught more this way. And uh, yeah. what did you discover? Well, I, maybe it was putting my name on the door that made me realize to tighten everything up, dial it back and just like serve the whole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So what, what you realize is when you're trying to teach people the craziest stuff and the most exciting things you can come up with and almost like see what I can make them do. A lot of people fall by the wayside. So it's like kind of razzle dazzling them and, and being entertained by the idea of the, the acrobatic, complexity of of the their repertoire that enchanted you for a period of time and then you're yeah, too long that's not benefiting enough people and it's particularly particularly not benefiting the ones who seemingly excel at it right. that's irony you know who that's really it. suffered yeah the pe- go ahead the guy who took my spot when i left yes 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 you know, that was unfortunate yes yes but you know, lesson learned. So, so now it's how do we serve the most people? That avatar became what that I talked about became a lot more like generalized. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's take a move. Let's 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 do this this way. It's like let's say, um, is the front kick. Whether you do jujitsu, karate, or any other martial art, you probably are familiar with a front kick. Even if you don't do one, even if it's not part of your thing, let's just use a front kick as an example. So if I say that front kick is part of the curriculum, it's a requirement to advance in rank. What does that mean to you as a student? 
Like, do I just show you the front kick once and say like, you're now responsible for being able to do this? Or do I wanna provide you with a methodology that's gonna help you to cultivate the kick? Yeah, that you're gonna support me and we're gonna we're gonna dissect the front kick. So what does the front what's the front kick comprised of? Like what you know, let's talk about like maybe muscle groups involved. And like we don't need to have an anatomy and physiology lessons, but lesson, but there's there are muscle groups involved. Like I certainly right. need to involve the strength of my quadriceps and the flexibility of my hamstrings. And I certainly need a strong core and I'd have to be able to shape my foot in the correct position, assuming there's a ball of the foot front kick. I'd need to know what the ball of the foot is. Interestingly, people often confuse the ball of the foot with the heel. And and you're thinking, man, it doesn't can he point his foot? And he, he thinks he is. Yeah. The person thinks that the heel is the ball of the foot, etc. So these are like distinctions in communication that experience is going to compel me to, to be aware of in advance. And I have to not only be able to demonstrate the front kick and explain the front kick. The most important thing in my curriculum is the programming of the front kick. And programming is the conversion of knowledge into skill. Does that make sense? How do you get good at programming? So, so I want to provide the students with exercises, physical training. They've got the knowledge. They've, the front kick is in their brain. It came in through their eyes and ears. So it's now in their brain. It's in their central nervous system. But to become a motor skill, they've got to start making the movement happen. They've got to repetitiously perform the action each time better than the last. And that's not how, how, how do you how do you do? I know I'm trying to get an answer out of you. OK, yes, yeah, so, I know what you do, but sure, what, sure. like you're well, your master. I, I want them to understand things like like most important for the front kick is is the the accuracy of the front kick the what i'll say the precision of the front kick and the punctuality so that you know the timing and the targeting i want the timing and the targeting to be highly valued because if they give their awareness to things like timing and targeting it's amazing how quickly the gross motor skill doesn't doesn't remain a daunting or an insurmountable goal to achieve it becomes very matter of fact. But so I got to be able to throw a front kick because it, because that's a low standard. What's a, what's a higher standard is throwing the front kick precisely, making sure that my targeting and my timing are correct. Whether it's in the air or on a target or on the human body, there's a bunch of ways we're going to practice the front kick. But I want them looking for the characteristics that make up a quality technique and understand that because they don't, if they don't know what it is they're after. They're not going to get it. So that leads me that what I want to say, and you, you were just, you know, pointing towards it is I think you're a master in, in verbal cues. You've got a series of, of very specific, powerful, precise verbal cues for every one of the techniques in your curriculum. Yeah. I want both cues and clues. So cues would be, you know, less verbose. And then, the, you know, the clues are where I have to be a little bit more verbose, you know, the, right. so a cue, a cue would be some kind of a trigger. That's a popular word these days, but a trigger that's going to prompt a response. And, that, you know, whether they're, they're like coded cues 
or obvious cues. I want to use as many as I can that are going to lead to the desired outcome. And then the clues or the, the, the verbose, but as concise as possible suggestions, you can call them corrections. They are corrections, but I like to, I like to say that they're suggestions because it thrusts the responsibility onto the student to apply the suggestions and make the suggestion an actual correction. So A, they take responsibility. B, they earn credit for the transformation. In other words, they don't, they don't, they don't say I did it. They did it. You know, they feel like they made the change happen. Right. Yeah. I like that. Um, I like all your verbal cues and, and I bet if we took, you know, 12 of your black belts, they could probably write out every, every single verbal cue that you use for each technique. And what, what do you think would be the value in that? Is that one is that we're speaking a language that we all understand right. that, that there's a, there's a common language, not just English, but there's a language within the English that's unique to our teaching method that everyone in the dojo understands. Yeah. And you don't have to be William Shakespeare to like, so this happens a lot in jujitsu and like anything, man, like we speak in metaphors and we Mm -hmm. give analogies and Mm -hmm. we use language to express these very well at times complex concepts, right? Like, like leverage and fulcrums and things like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we use metaphors and sometimes people get a little verbose, like you said, yes. and you sound like you're writing an English paper and yes. that that's fun because it's an engaging moment in your classroom and your students are having a good time listening to you. They're excited, but nobody's going to pass that on. Your, your assistant instructors are not going to use that same metaphor. So they it behooves do. you to speak a language that is replicable. That's easy to remember that everybody can do. Yes. Yes. So those would be like that. We'd say that that's the system and that's the thing that we all share. We all have in common. And then like everyone's going to use their own stories, their own metaphors. They're going to, they're going to have their own unique way of articulating and communicating things, which is okay. It's like, I don't discourage that. There was a point in time where I did, but I think that's a mistake, but it's a greater mistake to throw out all of the, discoveries we've already made that that make the training method effective right so sometimes people reinvent the wheel for the sake of wanting to take the credit for inventing the wheel and that's stupid that's foolish that's (laughs) that's very idiotic so i you know again that's that becomes like a big ego issue is i'm not going to do it the way he did it because he did it that way and you know you throw out the baby with the bathwater. that's a big mistake Like, and that, but it's a good thing to look for. Like you could tell when there's like animosity in the (laughs) building, when people are doing everything contrary to the way you've taught them. That's okay. Like that's when it's time to move out of the house, son. (laughs) You know, that's, that's, you know, snatch this pebble from my hand. And you know, that, that happens. Like I actually, I, I've, I've learned to love that when you have a staff member who's gotten to the point where they have so much animosity and <laughs> maybe even hatred for, you know, doing what you've told them to do and, you know, dominating the direction of their existence that they start to do everything differently. Usually when they snatch the pebble from your hand, they leave the temple and they 
they open up their own school, usually they arrive at a point where they start to realize they sound an awful lot like the person who they didn't want to sound at all yeah. like. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's just a natural phenomenon. If you were doing your job the right way the whole time. I think so. I think so. So, so let's, let's, let's investigate this idea. Um, let's, I'm going to say some things and maybe the listeners are familiar. Maybe they're not. I'm going to name four sweeps that are germane to Brazilian jiu-jitsu and kind of universal. Everybody does them. The scissor sweep, the foot hook sweep. I think people call it sumagaish. The arm hook sweep and the up and over sweep, belly sweep, kimura sweep, all, all one and the same. The hip height sweep. Are you familiar, Professor? Yes. So, okay, so we use, those are four sweeps. Then I'm going to say, I'm going to use four kicks, just in case, you know, someone has no idea what those moves are. Front kick, side kick, round kick, and hook kick, right? So there's four sweeps and four kicks. And let's just say that we're going to teach those four sweeps in both the basic program and the advanced program. And it was the same with the kicks. Those kicks we teach in the basic program, but we also teach them in the advanced program. What makes them basic or advanced? Oh, you can... you. Yeah, like what would, what, wait, that's the same stuff. How come it's part of the advanced curriculum if it's part of the basic curriculum? Why would it be that way? Just the deeper your understanding of the technique, the more complex it can become. So there's, there's a greater level of depth control sophistication understanding and like, like in a, you can practice. raise the intensity with which you train okay you know well, practice. another huge thing that changes that that it doesn't really change the curriculum yet it changes the experience profoundly uh, your classmates surrounding you yeah yeah so if i have a basic class that's largely comprised of people who are making up their mind making up their mind. They haven't made up their mind. They, they made up their mind that they're going to enter into a program where they get to make up their mind. They've made up their mind by enrolling in the basic course that they're now in a program where they get to make up their mind as to whether or not they want to go on to earn their black belt. And that's how I perceive it. Right. And it's got a lot of value. The challenge is that there's a lot of chaos. There's a tremendous amount of chaos in the basic program, not by virtue of the curriculum. The curriculum's quite simple, but the divided mind is quite complex. Would you agree that we have a divided country right now? I think I would agree, yes. Would you agree that there's a lot of households that are divided? Yes. Those aren't the real challenges. The real challenges is, are the divided minds cognitive dissonance. You know, I'm not, I, I love jujitsu. I really want to do it, but there's other stuff I want to do too. And I'm not sure whether or not I want to go on to black belt. I want to do it. I see its value. I know it's in my best interest, but I have these other things pulling me in the opposite direction. And that's being reconciled in the basic program, whether you're a child or an adult. Because people aren't really thinking about that. Well, how would you know? I don't know either, but you know what I do know? I know I'm thinking about that. Yeah. So I, I'm making an assumption that, that others are too. Do you remember thinking about that? 
I don't think I'm a good example. So you, you might not think you're a good example, but let's peel the onion. Um, you're highly motivated and you're very deliberate and you're clear on what it is you want to do. But um, I, I, I bet you that sometimes you take the low road. I do. Yep. Guilty. And, and, and I bet you that you do such a good job of making it seem like your low road is the high road. <laughs> that you have everybody tricked except for you. Yeah. So that, that's, that's an example. And, and, you know, you are a bad example, but you're a good example. Oh, no, look, I've had a divided mind over several things. It's just martial arts, I don't think has been one. Well, it's not obviously one. But, uh, you know, if you had your, your, aunt here's a good example. I've had a look, a very good example of what you're talking about. I had a divided mind when we first got back into the Academy during COVID. Mm -hmm. I had the, my foot on the gas and the brake at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it really right. diminished the experience for my students on the mat. Yep. So, so what I, what I'm saying is in the advanced program, there's still a divided mind, but it's not whether or not I want to earn my black belt. Right. In the macro level, people are consistent with their their driving toward that goal. Now, there's a lot of micro quitting going on. There's a lot of you know what a micro quit is. Yeah, like tapping so, to exhaustion and yeah. So, well, if you and I roll like like before I I tap out completely, I tap out in in these imperceptible ways. Yeah, you give up. You give yeah. up that guard pass when you didn't really yes. have to. Yes, 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 yes. So, so these things occur, but, but the magic of an advanced classroom and the people yeah. who are listening to this, if they have one, they know what we're talking about. And if they don't, they got to get one because they're going to, they're going to, they're never going to want to, if they look back at the way it was before they had one, they'll never want to go back to not having one. And that's where you walk into an environment where everyone in that room is laser focused and working toward the uncommonly common goal of earning their black belt, minimum goal of earning their black belt. And that, that changes the entire experience. So we go back to the scissor sweep, the foot hook sweep, the arm hook sweep, the belly sweep. If the people in the basic training level saw the people in the advanced training level do those same moves, they would swear they never learned those moves. Yes. And in a way, they, they haven't yet learned those moves because they haven't done them as a person who is committed. Right. So another good example is if you see people, which I think if we go to your YouTube, you could see like your, your black belt program or what's the, the highest program you have? I used to have an expert program and, expert. Then, and I developed a mastery program. So if you see those students doing like white form, like your warm up kata, mm -hmm. it, it's a thing to behold. But it, but a white belt would be like, yeah, that's the one where we stretch, right? Yes. Yes. And they don't even know the sequence. Like they haven't yeah. memorized the sequence yet. Well, they don't, yeah. they don't care to, Why they don't care to yet. Not valued. It's not valued. Because right. But if you, but if you see like, uh, like Alex Kaprowski do white form, Yes. It's, it's like, he's trying out for the Olympic team. Yeah. Yes. It's intense. It's intense. Yeah. It's impressive, but it's, it makes you want to do it. It makes sure, you want to do sure. it. It's inspirational, yeah. you know, that, and then like skill is attractive. So again, like, you know, these people go, I thought we we're going to talk about curriculum and you were going to list the moves. And I don't think anybody's thinking that, but I, I think it's an important uh, understanding that 
more important than the move itself is the method through which you're going to help the student develop the move. So how do you help me develop my, my arm lock from the bottom? Juji Gatami. So that would be um, a straight arm lock where somebody's inside of my guard. Right. So am I, do you want me to teach you? Yeah, kind of, you know, like you're going to teach the whole class. Like what's the first thing that you need to have them do? Uh, you know, step one, pin the elbow to your belly button. Before that. Close your guard, bow, slap hands. Pull and your I'm, not, I'm not trying to trick you, but before that would be, you'd want them to see it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, we yeah. talked about that dynamic demonstration and yes. that's the visual component. So there'd be a dynamic demonstration of the arm lock and why, so you go, well, they've already seen it, but it's good to see it again. Yeah. Like they saw it last week. They saw it. They saw Royce do it. And then they saw Hoist do it, <laughs> yes. both of them. So they, they've seen people do the arm lock from the bottom. But don't you believe that in a training session, it makes them a little more awake, aware, alert, and alive to see it again and see it done dynamically? Yes, 100%. So, so that's the first thing that will happen. So you're going to introduce the arm lock today, and you have two people who do it extraordinarily well. Hopefully whom? Instructors or students? I mean, we do both, but in, in a jujitsu setting, it's almost always the instructor. But wouldn't it be powerful if it could be the students too? It often, oftentimes it is. Here's my method to, to cover both those bases. I teach the technique and knowing full well, especially in a fundamentals class that they're going to struggle even after I walk them through it, freeze there on their spot. And then I highlight the senior student and, and talk as the senior student does it. So you have a dynamic demonstration and then you have an explanation. Yeah. You're going to explain the technique. You're going to. Right. And I'm very, I'm very uh, aware that I'm not going to jam all of my verbal cues into the, the first time that they see it. The first presentation, the first explanation. The first right. So, so if the arm lock, let's be Michelangelo for a second. If the arm lock is living inside that block of granite, mm -hmm. I'm only going to do the broad chipping away in the first few times. Perfect. Knowing Perfect. full well that. That's the best they could do right now. They go, they try it. They, they try to ingrain the broad strokes in their body freeze. Then I add some more verbal cues and we're chipping away more and more. Beautiful. So we have demonstration and explanation now into programming and they're actually doing it. They're actually beginning to walk through Juji Katami. Do you break it into steps? Yes. Four steps. Okay. Could it be every, six steps? Every technique. It could be, but I don't want it to be. Why don't you want it to be 12 steps or 18? It could be, right? It, it could be. be. It could be a hundred. Yep. But and it will. Be, and, and you know what? Here's the point that you were making before in the, in the advanced class, it is a hundred. Mm -hmm. That's why they're so enthralled by the, the simple technique of detail. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Or it's just, you know, the teaching methodology that was passed down from master Hensel Gracie to Ricardo Almeida. That's, you know, four steps. There's four steps to it. And that, and it's chunked into four pieces, but you could further break it down. If you wanted to mince it up, you could, and yeah. you, you might do that if like you didn't have a whole bunch of other stuff that you also needed to teach. Yeah. In other words, you're not trying to milk it. No, you're not trying to make it more. Than and I'm not trying to show them how much I know. There you go. So four steps. You, you're making it as simple as possible, but no simpler. Right. So four steps and you walk and talk them through those four steps. So they're programming, they're converting the knowledge into skill. skill. 
Okay, so we have demonstration explanation programming. And now they, they probably believe they get to a stage where they think they've got it. So you then allow them to what? Train live. Train. train. Yeah, with some degree of resistance. Like it doesn't mean that you put them in a cage. No, we, we but, give the speech, you know, we're not giving out gold medals. This isn't mm -hmm, Abu Dhabi. Mm -hmm. But they're going to they're gonna try to do the arm lock against some degree of resistance. And you and I both know that, that the only thing more difficult that putting an arm lock on a, on a highly skilled black belt is putting one on a cooperative white belt. <laughs> so, so, you know, so yeah. sometimes the resistance is provided even before <laughs> training begins. It happens in the programming process. And while we ridicule that and we kind of, you know, make fun of it and tongue in cheek and discourage it, it's actually a, no, really, it's a really important phase. It's an important phase and it's something that we have to be aware of as instructors. Yes, yes, yes. So, so they've, the demonstration occurred, the explanation occurred, the programming occurred. Now they've started to train the technique and what happens after they've trained it, they start to form a habit, habit, a habit. And now not all habits are good ones and, and not all habits are great ones. So we go back to the beginning because there's going to be flaws in that first rendition. You said it yourself, like the first run through, we're just trying to chip away some marble. So it begins to look like a figure. It no longer looks like a rectangle. It's starting to think the shape of the David, but it doesn't have the detail of the David. No, because if you told somebody to go carve out David on their first shot, it's going to look ridiculous. It's going to look like, it's going to look like Elmo. It's not going to look like David. It's going to look ridiculous and they're not even going to enjoy the process. Right. They're going to be overwhelmed and frustrated. Yeah, they're going to throw down the hammer and chisel. And they're going to walk off and do something else. So for people listening, this is, I don't know if you realize the power of what you just did is that's, that's, you just solved the repetition problem. Mm. Instructors are scared of, of teaching what type of class? A boring, repetitive a boring class. Boring class. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you're only bored if you're, if you're boring. Bored boring and, and, if, I, and if, if you're not paying attention because it's boring or is it boring because i'm not paying attention it's or are you just boring. lacking enough understanding of your of the skill itself that you can't go back and refresh and renew that's a very good point that's a very good point so so if you're not able to to shed light and create not create but point out distinctions you don't need to create them they're there you just want to help to bring people's awareness to them and I'll tell you what's exciting. What's exciting is progress. Yes. Because it, because it, even if you're not boring, it can be, it's never boring, but it can be very discouraging. And a lot of times we confuse those things. And I, let's, let's close because I thought you were going to open up the Pandora's box of curriculum. We could talk tricks real quick if you want. Go ahead. Let's talk a couple of tricks. Right. I want to bring one up before you do. Go ahead. Because this is a this is a really important idea. Um, someday, Kirkson, it's my son. Um, he's gonna get in the car after, you know, basketball practice or you know something else that the the boys do during men's wrestling season, and he's gonna say <laughs> he's gonna say I'm bored. And if I'm a fool, I'm gonna believe that he's bored with basketball. But if I'm not a fool. I'm going to take him to the basketball court. And I'm going to say, let me see you put the ball in the hoop 10 out of 10 times. You know, what's going to happen. He's going to get you know interested. 
Well, you know what's going to happen, though. Is he going to put it in 10 out of 10? No, of course not. Oh, and then I'm going to point out that, Kirkson, you're not bored. You're just not very good at basketball. <laughs> and because you're not very good at basketball, rather than reconciling that reality, you're going to, in a cowardly way, lean on the, the crutch called boredom. But that's not what's happening. You might be frustrated. You might be sad. You might be discouraged. You might be a lot of things, but bored's not one of them. Bored is a word you've erroneously assigned to the fact that you're unable to reconcile your lack of progress. But let's be accurate. Yeah. Now, now, when you could put the ball in the hoop 10 times, you get to walk away from basketball. Yeah, but here's what happens when you're able to do that 10 out of 10 times. You don't want to walk away from basketball. It's, you love it. Yeah, you're in love it. That's that's the message we always uh, you know, drop on our level two the advanced kids, which you might agree are the hardest kids to keep around, at least in jujitsu. Sure. sure. But they want to so, be held to a higher standard. They're going to experience, a, they're going to recommit and double down as they cultivate greater and greater skill. Yes. Because that investment in themselves is going to cause them to not want to walk away. Right. And that's missing. You know, I don't want to, we could sound like two grumpy old men, but that's something missing from the culture. Yeah, I mean, we're grumpy men. You're old. Yes. But, yes. but yes. I, I, it's it a powerful message. Yep. yep. One of the, the simple thing we say to our kids is, you know, who thinks jujitsu is fun? They raise their hands. Yeah. Here's a secret. And I've been doing this for 15 years. It gets more fun the better you get. Yes. Yes. The better you get, the yes. more fun you're going to have. And, and that resonates with them. They're like, oh, man. Yes. And, that, and I like your way of expressing it. I like to also say um, who here thinks it's fun. It is fun, but it's very quickly going to become frustrating when you experience some failure. Yep. If you're not willing to convert the frustration to fascination and fight your way through, you'll never feel fulfillment. And, and there's, there's the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. And what we want in our lives is fulfillment. Fulfillment includes fun, but it's not exclusive to fun. And that's you go, ah, but kids just want to have fun. Bullshito. Kids want fulfillment. And and kids how do you how do you gain fulfillment? How do you reach fulfillment? Setting and achieving goals, making keeping promises, honoring your commitments, accepting them and honoring them, making progress, getting better, improving, growing, maturing. That's how you achieve fulfillment. And those things but it's important to understand the balancing act. It's not only overcoming obstacles. It's not only, you know, acquiring skills that were once impossible, right? Because if you're only butting your head against the wall. No, it's enjoying, you got to coast sometimes. You got to enjoy right. the breeze, man. You right. got to, you got to enjoy, you got to listen. It's like wealth. Look like that, you know, you take money, you can, you can waste money. You throw it away. You could spend money. That's a break. Even good luck. I've never spent money. I've never broken even. I've either been up or I've been down. So I like to invest. And when I invest money, I, I actually get to experience not only the, the joy of putting my money into something and having the experience, but my money grows. Time is the same, works the same way. I can waste my time. I could spend my time or I can invest my time. When I invest my time, my experiences are the most fulfilling, but that includes coasting in the breeze. 
A lot of people say like, well, that's not an investment. Yes, it is. It's an investment in my enjoyment. It's an investment in the delight of feeling the, the pleasure of the fruits of my labor. I do like to coast in the breeze. And I think that's what you're referring to when you talk about like cruising with your skill. You just, you nailed it. That's, that's how you develop your curriculum. When you, when you develop your avatar, you need to think of a kid starting at nothing, getting to, you know, a, a place of skill, but that's the, the path he needs to take. Like he needs to overcome the challenges. He needs to invest. He needs to develop skill the hard way. Cause it's the only way. But if you're not finding little pockets where he's going to coast and enjoy his newfound skill and, and, you know, bask in the, the glory of being like highlighted in front of his classmates and his teammates, he's not very long for this world. So my, my friend's son is a very, very accomplished competitive motocross racer. And uh, sometimes my, my, what my friend tells me is that Frankie just wants to ride his bike. It's a motorcycle. Yeah. He doesn't want to race. He wants to go ride his bike and that's yep. okay. It's okay that he goes and rides his bike. His riding of the bike does not detract from his skill set. It actually enhances it. But there's some there's some people who would argue like there's no time for that. Right. There's no time for just riding the bike. Like you got to prepare for the next race. Well, he's not going to be racing for very long if he never gets to just ride his bike. But let's use that let's use that, you know, comparison the other way developing a curriculum sometimes we fall into the other trap of making it just fun and games and excitement and yeah it's lazy that's the gym teacher who just rolls out the ball right you know like like i i like the gym teacher yeah, but then the kids love coming in to see you for a while right for a while why because they're not getting what out of it they're they're not getting fulfillment out of it they're not benefiting from it. they're not getting in it they're not the intensity of the experience pales in comparison they're not learning much they're out you know it's you can roll out the ball and we can sort of figure it out or you could really teach me some things about the intricacies of the game that are going to improve me as a player and again, what I end up discovering are not only things about the game it is that you're teaching or the sport you're trying to impart, but I discover things about myself that I won't if I'm living my life on the surface. Right. If all I'm doing is, is, you know, cruising and coasting and letting the wind blow through my bald head where there was once hair. <laughs> I'm not going to discover the things about myself that are going to cause me to grow to the next level. So the curriculum needs to be challenging. I mean, that's a, that's yeah, the, there's that. another aspect. One aspect I want to add to that is we respect our students enough to challenge them, especially yeah. the kids and the kids know it. The kids like how to challenge them. How insulting. They like when you, they like when you talk to them like an adult, yeah. you know, like they, they enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 I, you know, he's tender and he's vulnerable. I know that I'm tender. You ever get the look and I know you did. Cause I probably, when I was eight, I looked at you this way is you treat a kid like, not like an adult, but like you expect and demand a lot out of him. Mm -hmm. And they give you the look like, wait a sec, you're supposed to treat me like a kid. You're supposed wait a second. You're supposed to talk to me like I'm a baby. What's going on here? Look of confusion. It's confusion, but it's like they give you the sideways glance, like, like, oh no, you found me out. Yeah. Oh no, you know that there's actually a brain in my head and, and yes. there's effort to be. Yeah, yeah it's flattery. It's flattery. 
they enjoy it. They respond very well to it. It's flattering. It's flattering to be held to a high standard. It's, it's, we, we talked about this before is, you know, your grandfather would say to me when I was a kid, like, listen, man, you know, Thomas, I, 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 I believe in you, which, which translates to, um, somewhere in there. I know that you have the potential, but you're not demonstrating it. And, and it was, you know, I, it took me a while to figure that out, but when he held me to a very high standard, I would kind of act for a while, like I resented it, but it was actually his way of showing me that I've earned his respect. Right. It was him saying the jig is up. Like the jig yeah. is up. Like yeah. you're not fooling him. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't able to manipulate him to believe into believing that I was a tender vittle. Right. That I was completely incapable and like a worthless pile of flesh and bone who's unable to get out of my own way. And when when I'm made to realize that, when somebody lets me know that that I am capable, they know that I am capable, it's a compliment. Yes. So the, so the curriculum has to be challenging. And if it's not people will resent it. Now, if it's too challenging, if it doesn't build you and it breaks you, then it's, it's, it's poorly designed in that regard. It has yeah. to be, it has to be challenging, but it can't be impossible. So one organizing principle there is if it's not attemptable, it's not attainable, attainable. or yeah. achievable. If it's not attemptable, it's not attainable. So that means that when you, when you design your curriculum, the moves have to be moves that I'm able to at least try to do, at least begin to formulate, attempt, you know, walk through. Because if I can't, I'm never going to get to the point where I'm able to do it. It's too much of a leap of logic. So give me an example of that. Give me an example of that in jujitsu. Give me one example. Uh, like the flying triangle yeah flying triangle flying long. like you're, you're not going to see me doing that with two you know reconstructed shoulders so i'm not going to make my students do that yep. now now but here's the good news because there's somebody out there going but but i can do that nobody's going to stop you yeah go ahead that's right that's cool nobody's going to stop you i tell you look what i've learned about moves like the flying triangle and the 540 and whatever else the move is and in the martial art that you do you can forbid people all you want from doing that, but if they can do that, they're going to do it. Yeah. They're going to do it. Look, Whether in your presence or in your absence, they're going to do it. So get over your guilt of feeling like you've deprived them of it. They're going to do it. And look, another, like, you know, I was talking about before how originally when I was teaching kids classes, it was, it was just too much. It was crazy. And I, it still creeps up every now and then. Like if we go to a tournament and you bump into like K Dojo, which is this, you know, it's, it's a local place where like Khabib came to a Naga and fought out of. So mm -hmm. those are the types of people. And they have five-year-olds who fight like Khabib, mm -hmm. uh, Murga Menoff. And, you know, part of me is like, yeah, we have, you know, a couple hundred kids in our program, but none of them can beat this kid. Mm -hmm. And maybe if I create this separate training program and we can make these kids like killers, here's what's going to happen if I do that. If I, if I fall prey to that weak part of my brain, I'm going to have 12 kids in my program who are tough as nails, probably don't even like being there, might be, you know, sociopathic. And the other 200 kids who could have benefited from my program no longer can. 
<laughs> Likewise, in the same vein, we all want to have take pride in our adult program, how tough our guys are, how fit and ripped and you know tenacious they are. Mm-hmm. But if there's only 10 of them, it doesn't really matter unless that's something that you really value, which I, if you're listening to this, you don't. Yeah, well, you might be. And what I would say to that, and it's not to be, it's not because I'm worried about offending anyone because I'm not really worried about offending anyone, but <laughs> it, it, that you want to begin with the end in mind. And if the goal for your program is to have, uh, you know, 25 students who are all on a competitive level and, and world-class and, and, you know, climbing up the ladder until they fight in the big show, that's your thing. And, and good luck with that. Like I, you know, God bless you. And I, I hope you're successful. Um, those aren't my goals. Those aren't your right. goals. Now I'll even say this, like, even if those were my goals, I don't have the, I don't think I'm capable of achieving those goals. They're not, I'm not interested. So I, I wouldn't really know how to go about it. But even if I did, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that I could. Yeah. I'm not suggesting it would be easy to do that. And I don't want to, I don't want to uh, diminish the validity of somebody who's pursuing that outcome. I'm glad, I'm glad it's out there. I'm glad yeah. it, it exists. But my, job, my goal is to have the biggest ripple in my community possible. Sure. So when you're developing your curriculum, you know, you already said this, begin with the end of mind, have that avatar in mind. But you have to also understand, like, you maybe you disagree. You can't have both worlds, right? Well, you can, you can, I, I don't want to mismatch you, but you, you can, I haven't seen, but I, I would say you can, but just yeah. theoretically, but I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I haven't. Yeah, I, if, if somebody I, listening figures it out, please send yeah, me an email. I, I, what I, I would say is I haven't seen it yet. Right. You know, what I really want is this, is I want my students to be fulfilled. I want them to be healthy. I don't want them, you know, just to be happy. I want them to be healthy. I don't want them to just have fun. I want them to have fulfillment. Yeah. I don't want them to just enjoy their training. I want them to benefit from it. I don't want them to only be able to use their martial arts when they're in the dojo. I most of all want them to be able to apply the principles that they've worked so hard to cultivate in the way they experience the world outside of the dojo. And I want them to be in service of themselves and others. Those are lofty goals, man. That's like, I, I you know, I, that keeps me busy. And so, those are, they're worthwhile fulfilling goals. Yeah, so things peripheral to that. I, I hope other people are focused on those things that are peripheral to that because I'm not. Yeah. So any other, any other tidbits, any other like bits and pieces, anything that jumps out at you that, that, cause listen, we're going to talk about once we get through procedures leading up to developing a staff and we're going to talk about staff development in our next episode yeah i'm excited for that very important subject we're going to go back and we're going to renew and i i want our podcast on behalf of mr coquinos i want it to really revolve around the training experience you know we talk about red white and blue we roll out the red carpet we keep everything white glove clean but most important of all is blue ribbon service. And that's not towel service. You know, it's, it's martial arts instruction. Yes. The service that we're in is martial arts instruction. So we're going to, we're going to discuss that quite often. Yeah. So real quick, know your students' names, make sure they hear their name three times in every class. 
touch them appropriately three times every time you see them. High five, handshake, pat on the back, pat on the head. Know your parent, the parents' names. When you know your, the parents' names, they're going to stick around longer, right? Catch them doing something right. Highlight them doing something right. Praise, correct praise, right? PCP. So if you catch somebody that you need to correct, make sure you catch them doing something right, make your correction, and then praise them again. Just these little things. Another big one, my probably my favorite, is have them repeat the action until it's the, the desired outcome, especially with the kids, right? They're moving too slow. Go back, try it again. Notice don't walk away from it in frustration when it's yep. half done. You yep. know, make sure, make sure you bake the cake. Yeah. Yeah. Promote, promote them on time. Perfect. Here's the little tidbits. Those are, if you just do those five or so. Yeah. This is my favorite. And this one permeates every aspect of the operation in our lot and not just the operation of our school, but really our lives. And, and, and Mr. Coquino said this to me and, it's probably like 1991, 92, 93. So Thomas, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that comes down to being genuine, authentic, and sincere. If you're not genuine, authentic, and sincere, you will not have enduring success in the martial arts and I'm glad. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. And you can't fake it. I look forward to the next time we're going to talk about staff development. And uh, if anybody wants to give us feedback, Master Steve Sohn reached out, very complimentary and uh, coming from him, that's deeply appreciated. So uh, I know people are listening and if they have feedback or input or ideas, we're also going to be inviting people on to be interviewed. So uh, we'd love to get people's feedback. All right, guys. Kyoshi, thanks for your time. As always, I learned a lot. This was Thank a good you, time. Professor. Enjoyed every minute of it. Take care, guys.